0: Great to be with you. We are in Romans 6, so if you've got your Bibles, go to Romans 6. Um, It's part two of the sheet that you have. I've got a little bit more here to set up here on the screen, and we'll get going. There we go. I think we're almost there. Ah, there we go. So let me catch up with you and get to Romans 6. We have observed from Romans 6 that the baptismal life is a life not uh, free, so that you're free to sin and do whatever you want, because once you're baptized, you're a new creation. As we studied a few weeks ago from Titus 3, you're reborn, uh, you're rebirthed, and you're renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so look at Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him, namely Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For the Christian life, the baptized life then, is a life that is a daily death to sin, your old sinful nature, it's a daily battle, and then living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what began in your baptism, if I can talk like that, the death of the old Adam, the drowning of the old Adam, and then the raising up of a new man, spelled M-I-T-H, that continues every day of your life. So last week we observed from Romans 6 that uh, the baptism you live in and from your baptism when you are repented of your sin when you are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and when you want when you desire as a Christian you want to live a God pleasing life according to his word. Now if you won't be repented if you won't be faith and therefore if you want to live according to your own world words and not the Lord's you're living outside of your baptism, and that's going to end how? As Kuhlman likes to say, it will end hellaciously. So, again, by way of review, Romans 6, Paul has to address this issue. Where, like Voltaire, remember the French philosopher, He said, I live in the best of both worlds. I love to sin, God loves to forgive, so I'm going to keep on sinning on purpose. That is a misuse of God's grace. That is a misuse of being baptized. So there's the daily death to sin, but there's also new life in Christ, F-A-I-T-H, and living according to his word. And so we pick up here with Romans 6:5, which you have on the, on the board. And I'm not sure if my page numbers match with yours, but it's the paragraph that begins this, if you have the, the script, if you will. It's the paragraph that begins, baptismal death in the death of Jesus is a death in hope. That's where I'm at. I'm going to repeat that. Baptismal death in the death of Jesus is a death in hope in hope. That's where I'm at. Is that page 9 on your sheet? Yeah, that's a different page number than I have, so that's why I didn't give you a page. Sorry. You just keep adding, oh yeah, I just keep revising, adding all that stuff, and it's just a total disaster when you, when you look at the professor's notes. Yeah. Or the crazy pastor. So again, Romans 6:5. this is about the hope. Okay. So if we have been united with him, namely Jesus, in a death like his, then therefore we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So your baptism has meaning not only for the day of your baptism, not only for every day of your life, namely repentance, faith, and holy living, but your baptism has meaning for the very last day when Jesus comes in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that will be that he will raise your body from the dead. A bodily resurrection to be with him forever in heaven. That will be the final fruit, if I can talk like this, of your being baptized into Jesus Christ and being buried with him into his death and raised with him to live a new life. So again, to repeat, because we live in a culture in America, I'm speaking in general to make my point, where everybody gets it wrong, namely that in baptism you don't get anything, And therefore, baptism has no meaning or significance for your life now or for the future. That's absolutely unscriptural. We know from Matthew 28 that when you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God gives you something. What is it? His divine and saving name. And when He gives you His name, He gives you Himself and everything that belongs to Him. So an example again to repeat. It bears repeating. When you're baptized in the name of the Son... Jesus then gives himself to you and everything that he won for you here in his Good Friday death and his Easter Sunday resurrection. So with his name, he gives you himself and everything that belongs to him. So baptism then actually gives you something. So I always do this with the kids and the adults that I catechize. Christianity in general is this direction. It's God coming to us. God gives himself to us. That's Christianity. And you have the classic example here. Or you, once you understand what God did for you here, then you understand all the other stuff that you see with your eyes, namely this crea- creation in which you live. Everything that you see, God has given you as a gift. The birds, the bees, the trees, the grass, all of creation is gift. And only a Christian understands that. Okay. So, similarly here in baptism, Baptism, God gives Himself to you and all of everything that belongs to Him. And therefore, baptism has meaning not only for the day of your baptism, every day of your life, but on the last day. You will be raised in a resurrection like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you are baptized. Any questions so far? I'd have to throw this marker away because it's no good. And then I've got to get a drink because I haven't even had a chance to get a drink of water here. Holy smokes. Seriously, any questions while I take a little pause here? What about the people that weren't baptized? Okay, the question is, what about people in the Old Testament who weren't baptized? All right, the answer is this. Okay, the answer is this. They're saved by faith. Keep in mind that the Lord, through His promise of the coming Savior in the Old Testament, when people believed that, I'll draw my timeline on the board here. So, 33 A.D., Our Lord's death and resurrection. Old Testament, the promise, that's the promise of the coming Savior. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the promise in the Old Testament. So, whether you're Adam, Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Isaiah, Ezekiel, doesn't matter. If you believed in God's promise, He was going to send the Savior to die for you, you're saved. This is what Paul teaches, again, in Romans 1, which we studied about a month or two ago, Romans 1, that the justified lives by faith, Romans 1, 17. Faith in what? Faith in faith? No. Faith in the divine promise of, the. in this case, the coming Savior. We live after the fact, the fulfillment. We are saved in the same way, through faith. That's why Jesus then can say, the one who instituted baptism... He can say, you believe and you're baptized, you're saved. Faith doesn't make baptism the baptism. Faith receives what baptism gives. Now, so piggybacking more on what you asked, Mike. So Jesus, then why does he institute baptism in the New Testament? It is so that he, he will then bestow in a unique way the very forgiveness that he won for you on the cross. That's why he instituted. Why did he institute the Lord's Supper? Same reason but he gives that forgiveness in another unique way. So, baptism, what's the unique way in which our Lord gives us the forgiveness that he won on the cross? You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and as we're observing from Romans 6, you are buried with Christ into his death, and you're raised with him just as God raised him, and you will live a new life, and then you'll be raised on the last day. Now, Lord's Supper, what's the unique way that the Lord delivers it in the Lord's Supper? Is it water? And divine name? No. In the Lord's Supper, it's bread and wine with other words of our Lord. This is my body, this is my blood, and it's given and shed for you. My point here in answering your question, Mike, is that the Lord gives us the gospel in many and various ways. And in unique ways. So baptism is the unique way in which you become a Christian. It's the starting point of being a Christian. And then God, the Lord Jesus, sees to it that you're sustained in that Christian life by making sure that you hear his word preached and taught, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, right? Preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Luke 24, Mark 16, preach the gospel to the entire world, okay? And so he sustains your faith that he created in baptism, and he sustains that through preaching of the gospel, through absolution, Lord's Supper. So just as just as, so these things happen in the Old Testament for a reason. So I'm, I'm going way, just bear with me. So you remember, Israel was baptized into Moses. Remember that? That's 1 Corinthians 10? As a type or a foreshadowing of us, the new Israel, being baptized into Jesus. All right? So Old Testament Israel baptized, then they wondered for how long in the wilderness? 40 years. God fed them on their way to the promised land with what? manna, quail, and water from the rock. Namely, God sustained them by feeding them and taking care of them until they reached the what? The promised land. Similarly, in the New Testament, we are God's new Israel, the church. And we live in a wilderness, this world. And God sustains us, one way is through feeding us in the Lord's Supper, until we reach what? The promised land of heaven, Now, I was way off here. I hope that's somewhat helpful for you. Anything else? All right, so finally, so that you'll have a headache about this, so that you'll remember it, you'll say, oh my goodness, can't he move on? No, I can't, because I want you to have a headache. I want you to learn it. Your baptism has meaning not only for the day of your baptism, it has meaning for every day of your life, repentance, faith, holy living. If you're not doing those three, you ain't living in your baptism. But those of us who are repented, faith, and led in holy living, it has meaning for every day of our life. And then finally, the last day, when he comes to judge the living and dead, and he will raise our bodies up to live with him forever. So, um, we know how our story ends. That's my point. Romans 6 here. We know how the last chapter comes out of those who are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has died, and we have died with him in baptism. Jesus has risen, and we will rise on the last day, just like Jesus was raised on the third day. This means, brothers and sisters, that whatever may come our way in this life, whether it's poverty—how about you? But I've lost a ton of money in the stock market, huh? All of us have, okay? Whether it's poverty, um, disease, pain, persecutions—I'm here to tell you present sufferings cannot compare with the glory that will be revealed in us on the last day. Whatever burden the cross of Jesus may bring to us now, that is to say, whatever burden you bear as being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not compare what will be ours in the resurrection of the righteous on the last day. So, baptism means that by daily contrition, that means sorrow, The old Adam in us, namely our sinful nature, should be drowned and die together with all sin and evil desires. Baptism sets you in a daily struggle. It's this, as Paul says in Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your body as your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What's an example of that in this slide? Adultery. Don't use your body parts to commit adultery. Don't use your body parts to steal. A lot of people steal from their employer, you know. That's what this illustrates, okay? Don't use your members to tell lies like Pinocchio, right? Don't use your mouth and tongue to tell lies right? That's members. As Paul says, don't let let sin reign in your members. Or to murder, whether it's with a knife, a gun, or maybe with your heart, if you hate someone. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 5, and John the Apostle picks up on this in his first epistle, that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And so Cain, by the way, the Old Testament reading for today from Genesis, Cain murders his brother Abel. But you'll know that Cain broke the fifth commandment before he took whatever weapon it was, whether it was a knife, a rope, or a club. Who knows? We don't know. The text doesn't say. But Cain broke the fifth commandment before he ever used the instrument to bash in his brother's head or however he did it. And it happened where? Here in his heart. So we are not to use our body and its members to sin or for unrighteousness. You're not to use your members... Or your body to commit idolatry in every way, shape, and form. I'm going to mention, you've got to screen I mean, money is a big idol. Here's another big idol called children. Children have become the biggest idol in people's lives. And I'm going to just, again, making a general statement, okay? I do this all the time, okay? Generally speaking, children parent, parents don't. And I, I do a classic. This is a classic Kuhlmanism, okay? So when parents are raising young children and they're sitting at the dinner table and the child refuses to eat the carrots or the broccoli or whatever it is on their plate, the parent says this. This is how the parent talks. Eat your broccoli, okay? Eat your carrots, okay? Do you realize every the time you say that or ask that question, you are asking the child for permission. This is how parents parent and they don't even realize it. Okay, is that all right with you? <laughs> now that's just a simple example but I could go on and on and on but the biggest idolatry going on right now in our culture are children parents don't parent I'm making a general point parents don't parent the children do they, they, they call the shots on everything I don't want to go to church okay I don't want to do this okay they run the show they absolutely run the show Okay, that's a general statement. So we're not to use our members in that way. But then Paul says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, from what, death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you. So, how are we to present our members to God as instruments for righteousness? If you're married, be faithful. Don't stray. Be faithful in mind, body, heart. Okay? Let me give you some more examples. Be crazy generous with what God's given you in your life. In other words, don't be a Scrooge. People who are Scrooges don't enjoy life. Do you realize that? They hate life. Let me learn. (laughs) The opposite is, is when you're crazy generous and people say, my God, how can he afford to give that? I'll tell you who was crazy generous, it was my dad. I'm going to say it again, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. When I was growing up, and you know, we always went to either, when I was young, we always went to Casper to get groceries every Saturday. Okay? We did all our chores in Casper. We'd drive from Glenrock to Casper on Saturdays, and that included groceries at the end of all of our things that we had to do on a Saturday. Okay? I knew how much my dad spent every week to buy groceries to feed his family. I knew what it cost. I don't have to tell you the dollar amount. But then, at the same time, I also saw my dad filling out his offering envelope for church every week. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. I said to myself, how can he afford it? Because I knew how much it cost to feed the family. He was crazy generous. And anybody who knows my dad, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. People who are generous and not Scrooges are really enjoying life, generally speaking. You know my dad. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. He is. He's crazy generous. Okay. Yep. Another example is tell the truth. Remember the Pinocchio? Instead, tell the truth. Use your mouth, use your tongue to tell the truth. Another example from a good Samaritan, which you all know, help somebody when they're in need. Yeah, but I don't know who they are. Doesn't matter. Help them. Just help them. Yeah, but it might cost. No, just help them. But it might. No, just help them. Because God has put these people in your lives so that you can sentiments, his hands and his mouth to take care of people. You're baptized. Your meaning for your baptism has everyday use. When you're faithful in your marriage, when you tell the truth, when you help people, when you're crazy generous, etc. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, which we'll get to eventually, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do you remember in the New Testament? Jesus, this woman, great is your. So instead of idolatry, what's the highest worship of Jesus? How do you spell it in the New Testament? F-A-I-T-H. I mean, I can't emphasize this enough the highest worship of Jesus is to trust in Him. Regardless of how you feel about it or what you see in your life. Don't say, yeah, but. Just say, I believe in you. I trust in you. Okay. Paul says, don't let sin have dominion over you. Romans 6.14. So those who think, (laughs) if you think that being, Baptized and being a Christian is an easy thing. You're fooling yourself, and I always have to say this with the people that I catechize. You, you want to take this Christianity serious now for the first time in your life? I got news for you. Ain't going to be easy, because now you're in a struggle, a daily struggle. Whereas pri- prior, you let sin reign in your body. You did whatever your old Adam wanted to do, and you did it with great gusto and vigor. But now you want to take this Christianity seriously. It's going to be a daily struggle against what you always let go. You're going to have to learn to die to it every day. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. So when you are given God's divine and saving name and holy baptism, you became Satan's bitterest enemy. You also became an adversary of the world in which you live. This is why the world is going after us, and Satan is using the people in charge to go after us. And you also become an adversary of your own sinful nature. The devil roars and he fumes against you being baptized. Why would that be? I'll give you an example. Watch next baptism. So when Manx gets out of NICU, and we hope very soon, and we bring him for holy baptism, Manx will promise these things. I will ask him, Manx, do you renounce the devil and all his works? in all his ways, and because he can't talk yet, we'll all say it for him, I do. That makes a bitter enemy. So when Manx says it is baptism, I'm going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I renounce the devil all his works and all his ways, living in and from my baptism, he's made an enemy, and the devil's coming after him. Okay, So it's a daily battle. The devil will stop at nothing to keep us away from faith in Jesus Christ and living in and from our baptism. Now the world, of course, remember, the world hated Jesus and they crucified him and they seek to crucify all who are going to him. Now, our old sinful nature despises the water combined with the word and baptism. And I'm here to tell you that the old Adam, our old sinful flesh, is a good swimmer. Do you remember the, uh, the old Slasher movie with Jason with the, fa- the hockey mask? You thought he was dead at the end of the movie? Guess what? He always comes back out of the water and then wreaks havoc. That's your old sinful nature. So Jamie Lee Curtis has got this new movie out, and that she's supposedly going to finish him off. Right? You seen that advertised? Good grief. She's an old woman, a senior citizen, going to fight Jason. I think that's the name of it. Say that again, please. <laughs> they might what?: Oh, no, not hardly. You're certainly not. No way. But I know some who are. Well, senior citizen like me. Okay. Yeah. Like me. But the old sinful nature is a good swimmer. He doesn't want to be drowned. And so our sinful nature daily resists our baptism and refuses to be drowned by it. And so St. Paul says that the old Adams, our old sinful nature, its works are plain. Sexual immorality, impurity, lewdness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I didn't make that up. That's Galatians 5. So we don't have to wonder where all the evil comes from in the world. We know where it comes from. It comes from deep within us, and it needs to be drowned daily through daily Repentance and faith, which is the life lived in and from the bath of baptism. This is a picture of the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story? What would Jesus say to her? I forgive you. I'm paraphrasing. I forgive you. And then what would He say to her? Don't do it anymore. That's the life lived in and from holy baptism. Jesus forgives you, and He says, Don't do that anymore fight against that sinful desire. Fight, fight, fight. Okay. So again, if you're picking up what the Bible's teaching you about the living as a Christian, as a baptized Christian, it's tough. It's not easy. It's a daily search and destroy mission. And you're daily searching and destroying what? Your old sinful flesh. Now you begin to understand why a lot of baptized Christians give up. They don't want to live this struggle. It's easier to let your old sinful nature have its way so that the old sinful nature can indulge in the way of death. Because the lie is, the way of death is the way of life. The way of hell is the way of... Life. So all the supposed utopians in this world, these people promise promised utopia, and this is going on since the beginning of history, all the people who promise utopians are the most dystopian people on the face of the earth. All the people who talk about love, 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 love are the most hateful and spiteful people on the face of the earth. This is the lie. I'm talking about the ways of the world, etc. Correct. So Joel Osteen was just mentioned. He's the pastor down in Houston, Texas, took over his dad's ministry after dad died. Joel Osteen has no clue about what we're talking about. For Joel Osteen to be a Christian, what's that? No, he wouldn't teach any of this, what I'm teaching you now. Because for Joel Osteen, if you give your life to Jesus, if you give your heart to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Nothing will go wrong. So when you have troubles in your life, Joel Osteen would say, well, you obviously don't have enough faith. Wrong. If you're a father, the devil's coming after you. The world's coming after you. Your sinful flesh is coming after you. I'm going to tell you a true story. One of my classmates at Concordia Seminary, way back a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, he, was, he did not grow up Lutheran. He grew up an American megachurch, evangelical Christian. Now, he attended at this time. I don't know if this man is still alive, but I'll write his name on the board. And if you don't know him, God be praised because ignorance is bliss. But his name, Robert Tilton. And he had, I don't know if he's alive or not still, he probably is. But a long, long time ago, he had this TV show called Success and Life. Robert Tilton, Success and Life. Now, this, this man that I knew at seminary, class, he would attend man's congregation in Texas. It was a big megachurch congregation. There was a young boy who had um, a physical um, malformity and he couldn't walk. And He was born with it. Okay? And this young man, he wanted to be healed. And he would come up front when Tilton would supposedly do these healing services okay? and he couldn't be healed. You know, Tilton would do, pardon me, I'm going I'm to touch you here so don't be shocked. Tilton, <laughs> Tilton, you know, this young boy would be on his crutches standing, you know, upward, and Tilton would do this, you know, the typical thing, be healed, and then the ushers would catch him, you know, in their arms. Well, he he wasn't healed. Well, why not? Because number one, he wasn't a plant. Usually these people are plants. They're not really sick, etc. They're just plants. But here's the point. He would come time after time for healing, and he couldn't be healed. He'd slip through the cracks. And here was, because people watched this and say, well, what's going on here, Pastor Tilton? What's going on? It's not working. Here was his answer. You don't have enough faith, boy. If you just had enough faith, you'd be healed. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you're a faith, there's going to be trouble in your life. Why? So that you'll trust in Jesus all the more, despite all your crosses, tribulations, and trials. Now, there were times in the New Testament that Jesus did actually heal people, right? Why? Why? to show us who He is, that He truly is God in the flesh, and that He truly is the Savior of the world. Trust in me. Okay. Any other questions? All right, let me see where I'm at here and see if I can pick this up. Let's see, where am I at? Yeah, the woman caught in adultery, right. So sin no longer has lordship over us because the one who's died, namely if you've died with Jesus, you've been set free from sin. Now, as I mentioned earlier, baptism initiates an ongoing struggle. Though we are dead to sin, we're still in sin. We who've been justified, we who have been reckoned righteous by the death of Jesus must now continually reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6.11. We do this by confessing our sins, acknowledging our sinfulness before God, seeking His mercy, imploring his grace. And I think, again, I'm going to make a general statement here to make our point. I think this is where we Lutherans, we need to be repented and faith and led in holy living. I'm speaking in general now. We Missouri Synod Lutherans have forgotten this biblical teaching of living in and from holy baptism. And as a result, we have neglected something. What do you think it is? We have neglected the daily personal confession of our sins. Namely, every day, through prayer, get on our knees, wherever you're at, whether it's in the car or at home, we need to learn to what? To tell God, I'm a sinner and I desperately need your forgiveness for Jesus' sake. That's what I mean by daily personal confession. Now, for those of you who pray the evening prayer in the small catechism, remember that? I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you've graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong. That's a way that you can do it. So that's a model. If, you, if you've never done this, open up your small catechism, look at the evening prayer, and that's a way that you can begin to do this. We're about the morning. Same thing. But the, the evening prayer is more specific. Forgive me where I've done wrong. Because you finished the day and you've been a big-time sinner. Now, the the morning prayer is what? The prayer for what? That we don't sin. Help us so that we don't. And there's this daily battle, you see. The ongoing struggle. So I think we've forgotten that we daily need to confess our sins and ask God to forgive us for Jesus' sake. As well as, I think what we've forgotten and what we neglect is every Sunday the opportunity to join together as the body of Christ and confess our sins in general, Okay? to the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving His forgiveness. And then, of course, if I can find the right slide here. There we go. That's a, this would be the daily. But there's another way. And the, 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 I'm going to just simply call this to your attention. I'm in the hymnal on page 292. If you have a hymnal on your table, go ahead and open up to page 292. This is probably... I'll spend a few moments on this. On page 292, I have some extra hymnals here. If you, Anybody need a hymnal? Raise your hand if you need a hymnal. I have some extra ones. Anybody? Seriously, you all need to look at this. If you don't have a hymnal, please look at it. There are extra hymnals around. This is worth taking the time to look at. Page 292. Now, when this, when this hymnal was being put together, they asked me to serve on this committee to put this in the hymnal, by the way. <laughs> All right? And it wasn't anything new. What you have on page 292 and 293 is what Lutherans have had since day one. It's called individual or private confession absolution. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm doing here. Did Kuhlman say you'd better be doing this? No, I didn't say you'd you better be doing it, but if you want it, it's here. It's here. In other words, if there's something that bothers you, and you want to hear that Jesus died for you, you can either text me, email me, or call me on the phone and say, Pastor, would you meet me at church? Well, sure. What for? I want to use this with you. What time? Oh, how about seven o'clock Saturday night? Okay, meet you there. And I'll put on my vestments. I'll put the lights on on the altar. I'll sit in the chair up there by the altar. I'll have the hymnal open, and you'll show up, and you'll come right up to the communion rail, and you'll kneel at the communion rail, and you'll go through this with me. Now, that's this service here. So, for example, Pastor, if you would choose to use this, let's say Mike would call me tomorrow and say, Pastor, meet me at the church Wednesday after catechesis about 8.15. Okay, you want to use this? Yeah. Here's how it'd go. I'd be vested. Everything, because I'd be vested, lights would be on, because it isn't Kuhlman's private itch. This is a service of the church. And so Mike is the one who initiates the conversation. Pastor, please hear my confession, and for Jesus' sake, forgive my sins in order to fulfill God's will. And I'll say, okay, I will. Proceed. And then Mike, on his own. Notice this is all on his own. His own initiative. I wasn't on your back. I didn't have your arm behind your back. I didn't have a gun to your head. This is all him willingly doing this. And so he says in general, I, a poor sinner, plead guilty before God of all sins. I've lived as if God didn't matter and and as if I mattered most. What commandment's that? One. My Lord's name I've not honored as I should. That's two. My worship and prayers have faltered. That's two and three. I've not let his love have its way with me. And so my love for others has failed. I've hurt people, I've failed to help people, my thoughts and desires have been soiled with sin. That's just a general way of saying four through ten right there, commandments. Now Mike, on his own then, will say, what troubles me particularly is, and then he will say what's bothering him. Okay? And then I'll hear his personal confession, and then I'll say something along this line before I say the bottom. He'll say, I'm sorry for this, and ask for God's grace in order to fulfill God's will, and I want to do better. So then after that I'll say, good, I'm glad, thanks be to God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Mike, this is what it means to live in and from your baptism. You've confessed your sin, you want to receive Jesus' forgiveness, and you want to do better. It's repentance, faith, holy living, get it? I'm a Johnny One Note, broken record, right? But that's what's going on here. But it knows. I have to repeat this, this is his initiative, he asked for it. Now at this point I'll say, good, thanks be to God, now, Mike, I'm here to tell you something. Blessed are you. The psalmist says, blessed are those whom the Lord doesn't count your sin against you. Why not? Because Jesus took your sin in your place, and so your sin is forgiven. I want you to trust that, Mike. And then I'll stand up, page 293. I'll stand up and I'll say, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? He'll say, you bet. I'll say, well, let it be done for you as you believe. And then I'll absolve him. Put my hands on his head and absolve him. He'll say, thank you, amen, and I may say a prayer, we may sing a hymn, but he might say, well, Pastor, I want to talk to you about something else. Okay, well, let's unbuckle from the altar and let's go either into my study or sit in the pews. Now, why does the Lutheran Church have this in its hymnal? I thought this is Roman Catholic. I'm here to tell you that the Lutheran Reformation reformed things so that what would happen, so that the gospel would be proclaimed. So Lutherans kept private or individual confession and absolution for the sake of one reason and one reason only. What is it? I just said it. So the gospel is proclaimed to sinners. So since I've opened up this big can, maybe it's a big can of whoop, fill in the blank, (laughs) I have to say more. So what's the difference, then, between a Roman Catholic private confession and a Lutheran private confession? Here are the differences. Number one, if you're a Roman Catholic, you are forced to go. At least one time a year. Which goes back to this date, 1215 A.D. In 1215 A.D., the Pope at that time called a church council and said, and they made a decision, that you have to go to your priest at least one time a year for private confession. And if you don't, you can't be buried, you can't be married, you can't take communion. That's still official Roman Catholic teaching. But here's the point. You're forced to go. Secondly, when you attend, you are supposed to confess all mortal sins. That would be sins that would send you to hell. Roman Catholics make this distinction between mortal sins and venial sins. Venial sins are sins that won't send you to hell, like maybe telling a lie, you know. But a mortal sin would be like abortion or adultery. Those will send you to hell. But telling a lie, ah, oh, you won't go to hell for that. The church does. The church decided venial won't send to hell. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The big list. Absolutely huge list. By the way. This is in the bony. The Bible doesn't make those distinctions. Whatever the sin is, it'll take <laughs> <be> you to hell. <laughs> It can be, and so then the priest has to be the judge right. on, the, on the spur of the moment. Okay. So he'll have to judge whether what you've confessed is venial or mortal. But here's my point. Not only are you supposed to go at least once a year. Now you know why Roman Catholics don't like to do this because it's torture. And then adding to the torture is this. I have to confess every mortal sin since the last time I uh, went to confession. So if you only go one time a year, and that's usually what you do, because you don't do it more than what the church says, <laughs> right? So you just go once a year. So people say, I can't remember all those. It becomes a torture. Okay? So you can begin why people don't like this. Okay? And then the third third thing that distinguishes Roman Catholic private confession between a Lutheran is this, is that what actually then is the key that unlocks the forgiveness of sins? And it is your contrition. Contrition is your sorrow. Therefore, the sacrament of penance, this would be private confession, absolution, the sacrament of penance was defined in three ways. Number one, the confession... Okay? Number two, the contrition. That's the sorrow. And remember, the confession would include, number two, all all mortal sins. And then third, satisfaction. And I'm going to abbreviate. This is the sacrament of penance. Now I've got to back up a little bit. In the medieval church, and still to this day in the Roman Catholic Church, you're baptized, and baptism forgives all I've got to say this correct. Um, I'm not doing this well off the top of my head. But baptism forgives the sins up until that point. And that's it. But then you continue to sin after your baptism. Well, baptism doesn't have any meaning for you anymore. So something replaces baptism, and it's called this penance bit. Okay? So, three parts of the sacrament of penance, and it's still that way to this day. Confession, contrition, Satisfaction—that might be the priest might say—and no, I'll say ten Hail Marys. Help your mom take out the trash. Say fifty Our Fathers. Okay, that kind of thing. And that would be satisfaction for what? Satisfaction to take years off of your time in purgatory. Now, I'm, I'm getting way too deep into this, so I've got to cut to the chase. All three of these parts of the sacrament of penance all are hooked around who? You. You and what unlocks forgiveness of sins is this my sorrow. Now, what you have then, so bottom line if you're growing up as a Christian in the medieval church, you are taught when you're sorry, you're forgiven. Now, that becomes a problem because you have this system called private confession and absolution. You have people saying, Well, I was sorry, therefore I'm forgiven, therefore I don't need to go one time a year to the priest. I'm already forgiven when I was. Got it? Yeah, when I was sorry. So this is a huge problem then in the church. You've got people who are saying, Well, I'm not going to go. I don't need to see my priest because I'm, I'm sorry. I'm forgiven. So, what's the church going to do about that? All right, here's what the church does. <laughs> All right, you still got to go for private confession and absolution. And the priest's role in it is he's going to be the judge of your contrition to see if you were really sorry. And if the priest decides that you are really sorry, here's his conclusion. The absolution is this. Okay, I see that you were really sorry. Therefore, when you were contrite, yeah, you were forgiven. I've judged it. Now, here's the point. In this system, the absolution doesn't do anything. This is what gave you the forgiveness of sins without any word of God. You didn't need to hear a priest say, I forgive you. The priest just would say this Yeah, you were, you were contrite. Okay, so you're forgiven. Good. Go. See ya. And don't forget your Hail Marys and our fathers to take years off of purgatory. You following this? Any questions so far? The Luther question. So, well, in other words, you don't, you don't go to confession as a pathway, when you die, you're just to go to hell. It's a possibility. That's certainly a possibility, yep. Or or, or stay in purgatory longer, yeah. Now again, I'm giving you official Roman Catholic teaching. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, even though I give you official Roman Catholic teaching, many Roman Catholic priests and bishops, they'll let things slide. So on your case, they'll say, well, Judy, you didn't do this one time here, but we, we love you, we'll let you slide. They go against the official church teaching. Now, where was I going with this? So this is what, the, this is what Luther inherited in the 1500s. Okay? He would hear private confession. People would come to Luther and they'd, they'd confess their sins to him and they expected that they were forgiven because they were sorry. Now, Luther knew better. He knew what the Bible taught. You're forgiven because Jesus died for you. And so the Lutheran way of confession, if you know your small catechism, you know it. Say it with me, what is confession? Confession has two parts. Medieval church had three But the catechism teaches based on scripture, confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. So, okay, we'll keep this part, confess our sins. But we're not gonna slice the baloney and say which is mortal and venial. All sins sin, and all sin is damning. So first you confess your sins, and second that we receive, what else? The absolution. So what I'm doing with you on page 292 and 293 in the hymnal is Lutherans kept private confession and absolution. You're not forced to go. You're free to. You don't have to confess all your sins. You just simply confess what bothers you. And the pastor will forgive you for Jesus' sake because this is the heart of it. Now, what happens with Lutherans? If you're not forced to go and you're free to go, what do Lutherans do? Never use it. Seriously, this is how Lutherans work. You're not forced to go to church on Sunday mornings, so what do Lutherans do? They don't go. (laughs) You're not forced. I mean, the pastor does not have a gun to your head so that you take communion. And therefore, since you're not forced to take it, what do Lutherans do? I won't go. Now, having said all of that, private confession absolution is not mandated by the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you is this, is to go before a pastor privately is not mandated by, by the Lord. However, what is mandated by the Lord? If you know Matthew 16, and you know Matthew 18, and John 20, what is mandated by the Lord? What are pastors commanded by the Lord to speak? Absolution or forgiveness for sinners. Now that can be done in various ways. And what I've showed you here is one way that it can be done if you choose to use it. And those who do will tell you it's a wonderful thing. I've used it. There are times in my life when I can't sleep because Satan attacks me, my old sinful nature attacks me, the world attacks me so much and I can't sleep at night. And I have a pastor that I go to and we use this and it's of huge comfort to me. And here's the, here's the huge comfort is because there's an objective authoritative word from Jesus that's spoken to me. It's not left up to my sorrow. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can say this but the pastor that I go to can't tell you this because what I confess to the pastor is confidential So he can't tell you, but I can. I can tell you what I confess. (laughs) Does that shock you? I'm not afraid. I'm a free man in Jesus Christ. So some of you who've taken adult uh, catechesis with me, you know exactly where I'm going. One 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 of the chronic problems I have as a sinner in my life is that I hate people. There are certain people in my life I hate, and I love to hate them. Now don't go there. It ain't my wife. Don't go there. But my, my, my sin of murder, my breaking of the fifth commandment, is my hatred toward, towards certain people. And it's pastors, it's peers that I have who, have, who not only at the beginning of my ministry, but still to this day, still to this day, work behind my back to get me out of the ministry. It hasn't stopped. I hate those men. And that's a chronic sin that I confess to a pastor individually. And part of my sin, brothers and sisters, is this. Listen carefully. Part of my sin is I like to hate them. And I don't want to stop it. Because it makes me feel that I have power over them. And the pastor that I go to for this, he has to constantly say, that's an even bigger sin, Brent, than your murder. You're now delighting in your sin. That's bad news, Brent. And then he has to lead me to repentance and say, yeah, you're right, pastor. I'm sorry, please forgive me for Jesus' sake. You're absolutely right. So this is this living in and from your baptism. Daily personal confession, Sunday morning confession and absolution, and if you so choose, you can go to the pastor. Now one final point, and then I'll quit. When I talked about daily confession and absolution, that includes confessing your sins to one another and receiving forgiveness from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're married and you sin against your spouse, you confess your sin, and you ask the spouse to forgive you for Jesus' sake. That's living in and from your baptism. This is the daily putting your old sinful nature to death, etc. A church member sins against you, what do you do? You forgive them. Okay? That kind of stuff. The daily personal confession and forgiveness among one another as well. This is huge. Do you have any final questions or comments? Hope this was somewhat helpful. We'll continue to slug through Romans. All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. thy will